And the important thing is to be passionate and engaged in whatever you're doing, because we do spend so much of our time working. So find enjoyment in it so that you have a life full of joy. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. And listeners, it's a special day because you hear us on our other podcast. But today, I've got Sarah Dandishi, travel and hospitality expert, best-selling author, TV personality, and podcast host, and now guest here with us. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. By the way, I have to say guest is probably the most important title. Yes, today, which I love having you as a guest today because now I get to learn more about you. And I know all the listeners want to learn more about you uh, because our live paths have crossed. And now we get to spend every week together for at least a half hour. And it's so much fun. But I want to learn more about your story because we don't get to talk too much about that. We don't. And that's why I think this is so cool is that, you know, uh, we've we've kind of like had podcasts at the same time. And then we met in person. And the next thing you know, we were like thrown together and we do our probably one of the highlights of my week good morning hospitality i have to say i love doing that with you so it's nice to go and see a little bit behind the curtain right <laughs> yeah because you've created so much and i remember looking from afar before really meeting you i was like wow look at this amazing woman sarah creating all of these amazing pieces of content traveling the world influencing so many people because you have such a big following which i want to get to um, but i want to start it like we always do here with your very first job in hospitality, what Ooh. was it? Uh, I was, oh goodness. Oh, my very first job in hospitality was I was a hostess at a restaurant in Georgetown in Washington, DC while I was going to school. And then my first hotel job, I was also a hostess, but I was in like the lobby bar area of the Four Seasons in Washington, DC. So right there in the Georgetown area while I was going to school. With all the power brokers. So you're in school at Georgetown. Yeah. You're not studying hospitality. You're studying culture and politics. So how did this start to take shape? So I love this story. When you, when you sometimes think and look back to certain moments in your life, you're like, oh, it's so meant to be. So I'm studying. I'm at the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown. That's what I'm studying. I'm passionate about it because I love people and I like that aspect. But I always wanted, you know, and a side job, you know, a job to do uh, on the side. And so I've been working at a restaurant and it was fine. 
I'm walking down the street in Georgetown, no joke. And I literally bump shoulders, like literally run into my cousin. My cousin had just moved to DC and he had gone to school in Lausanne. So a true hospitality hotelier, he it was, that's what he's did through and through. And he was working at the Four Seasons and he was working in FMB. And he was like, well, wait, why are you working this restaurant down the street when you can work at the Four Seasons, kind of do a similarish job. Yes. Okay. You might have to be a little bit more formal in presentation, but you'll make more money. And I'm like, oh, well, sure. Sign me up. And so it was this sort of perfect opportunity. And it was interesting too, because I was trying to figure out where I could go. I had an FMB background and he was working in FMB, but because we were related, we couldn't actually work in the same department. True. But luckily, yeah, right. But luckily he was working uh, in room service. And so I was able to work basically for his friend in the actual restaurant area. And that that's kind of like how that came together. And it just, again, when you look back, it just seems it was like meant to be like how we ran into each other, how this happened. And I remember being so excited to work at the four seasons because it's like, Ooh, I got paid my, I got paid 15 an hour, you know, which was way more than the nine an hour down the street for frame of reference. And then even the idea of being able to have like benefits and health insurance, you know, I was I, 19 years old. So that seemed like such a big girl job at the time. And it was a lot of fun. So, so what was it like? Cause what a lot of people start at four seasons, you're starting at the top. Right, you're starting at one of the best brands yeah. in the world. Did you feel like, wow, I'm entering this world of adults and professionals in hospitality? Or was it something like, oh, this just feels natural. Everyone's nice here. That's a great question. You know, I will say this, their onboarding at the at that time, I can't speak for it today, but at the time, their onboarding was phenomenal. So HR, like they had us come in for three different days, learning like the core pillars of the Four Seasons brand, understanding what, you know, how we interact with guests, everything from learning when to make eye contact, when to smile. If you're crossing paths with a guest in the hallway, standing to the side, all of this. So I was a sponge. I didn't know any other way, you know, I'm lucky in the sense, not to say that I grew up staying in Four Seasons, but I did grow up traveling quite a bit. So it wasn't, the, the concept of it wasn't foreign to me because I'd stayed in a variety of different types of hotels as a kid. Uh, so it was just more so just going in completely a clean slate and just taking it all in. So it was really, really great, a great way to get introduced to the industry. I love that. And so I remember the first time I started at 18, 19, I remember like, wow, there's like adults here and going to the kitchen was like a different world with yeah, yeah. people yelling and screaming. There's fire and knives, like walking onto a pirate ship. Is that like that for you the first couple of times? Like, all right, these are all nice people. <laughs> you know, I have to, I think I've been pretty lucky in that, definitely in that environment, everybody was very nice. But I, I mean, I remember and keep in mind, Fast forward when I became a concierge, this was well before I even knew that I would be a concierge. This was just a side job while I was going to school. Right. I, I did not know the longevity of it in my life, but I do remember walking by the concierge desk and we'll come to that later, but mm -hmm. coming full circle and becoming part of Le Clay Door and the gold keys of concierge. And many of those concierge were part of that organization. And so it was so funny that they're like, oh my gosh, I remember baby Sarah when you started in the lobby bar and now you're a concierge and you've got your keys. But I remember walking by them and thinking like, oh, wow, they're really like formal and professional. And I, I just knew I didn't want to get in anybody's way. 
and just like I stayed very much in my lane and just wanted to do a good job. Well, you did a good job there. You're there for three years, which is a good time, yeah. chunk of time, I guess, while you're in school. You graduate. Mm -hmm. You make like we learned, which I learned, which I loved. You made some a stint in radio. Is that what you thought you wanted to do? Was it like I'm going to go be an actor, an actress? I'm going to get into radio because studied <laughs> a little bit of that. Great question. So I always had a passion for film and TV, but I didn't have anybody in my family that did that. You know, I come from a family of engineers, doctors, lawyers, finance people, uh, musicians. So we do have creative. Definitely, there's a creative streak in our family, but. I wanted something a little bit meatier as far as what to study, but it was always a passion and an interest in mine. So I actually went and didn't study abroad, but I, I always joke that I had studied across the Hudson. So I went to NYU and studied producing classes. And then as I was coming back to DC for my senior year, I was looking at internships and I happened to get an internship at Hot 99.5, which was part of Clear Channel at the time. And that internship within three months turned into, I was assistant producer of the morning show. So this was such a cool thing. And, and I didn't necessarily see myself going into radio, but I loved the creative element of it. And I, and those that know me know I am high, I'm very passionate about music. So it was this cool area to play in. I didn't think that it was necessarily long-term, but I definitely know that I loved being there. But it also, radio at the time, and arguably probably now, doesn't pay a lot. So there was a period of time where I was working at radio, working at the hotel, and going to school. Some things never change. <laughs> yeah, always got your plate full, Sarah. Totally. Always. Then you make a move. So you're in DC, yeah. you're doing these things. Then you move across the country. How did you end up choosing to move to Beverly Hills? Yeah. So I always knew I wanted to be in Los Angeles. And again, probably going back to the whole film and TV element of things. And, and truthfully, being is that I wanted to explore, you know, acting and, and producing. And so I come here and, you know, I made two decisions. I'm like, I don't know anybody in LA, but it's like, okay, well, I knew that it would be important for me to have a sort of infrastructure, friend infrastructure, and two great ways to make friends. One would be doing like a class together. So I immediately enrolled myself in uh, producing classes. So yes, that's how I learned how to edit. And again, going back to even the radio show, being on the radio show, I also knew how to edit audio. So I definitely knew how to edit. I knew how to be behind a camera, knew how to be in front of a camera. I was doing that great way to meet friends. And then, you know, I also knew that I would meet friends through work. And I was like, well, I guess I can go into hotels again. Let me see. And at the time, my roommate, his girlfriend was working at a five-star, five-diamond property in Beverly Hills, the Lermitage. And she was like, oh, well, I can be your reference. Like, go ahead and apply. So I apply as like a cocktail server, a bartender, since my background had been more F&B, yep. go in and... Everybody, you know, I pass all the interviews because as we all know, when you go through these, you have multiple interviews. Yep. Finally, the general manager, he's talking to me and he's like, hmm, uh, I think I want to take this interview in a different direction. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just got to LA. I've heard about the casting couch. Like, I don't know where this interview is going. It did not go that direction, everybody. It did not go that direction. He ended up saying, well, I think you'd make a good concierge. Now, Again, I had already worked in luxury properties, so I had an idea of a concierge, and I knew that I would have to learn a lot more, and I also knew that I had to know a lot about the area. So I told him, I was like, well, I'm really good with maps. <laughs> like, 
like, map quest. Like, I got map quest. Don't worry. Like, I got map. Exactly. I was like, no, I graduated from Georgetown, but I'm like, I'm good with maps. Like I studied map of the modern world. Like really Sarah, but keep in mind, I'm still pretty young at this point. Uh, just about uh, 21, just about 22. And he's like, yeah, you'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so fast forward, I ended up uh, basically going into that job knowing I didn't know anything about Los Angeles or Beverly Hills. And then I shadowed for a solid week. And then after work, I would drive up and down the streets to get the lay of the land and know, okay, this is where Spago restaurant is. Okay. This is where the Gucci store is. This is where Chanel is all of that. And I did it at night because obviously, as we all know, LA has horrible traffic and that would just be miserable during the day. So I would do it at night. And then a couple months down the line, one of the head concierge, she was like, let's go restaurant hopping. And we did this great thing is that you didn't have to eat at every restaurant. I didn't have the money to eat at all of these fancy restaurants, but we literally went into probably like 10 or 12 of the most recommended restaurants that we would send people to. And I would just be able to go in, kind of take in the look and the vibe, see what the menu is. I mean, you could see the menu online as well too, but at least by stepping in the door, you could get a sense for the type of place. Mm -hmm. So it all of a sudden get, made my job far easier to kind of describe the atmosphere, the style, you get a sense for it. But I really like, I studied this city like it was my job, no pun intended, but like it was homework. But it was. And so my question for you, you yeah. graduate Georgetown mm -hmm. and prestigious school yeah. big time mm -hmm. when you said, hey, family, I'm going to go be a concierge and chase the dream of being a producer. Did you get any slack from them or like, Sarah, we just want you to be happy. Go, go for it. Not from my mom. My mom always very, very supportive. My dad being a finance guy, his questions, I mean, at the end of the day, always supportive, but he was like, I just want to be able to make sure that you know that you can make money. It always comes down to dollar signs oh. with him. But again, at the end of the day, they were both very like, hey, whatever you're doing, like so long as it makes you happy and so long as you're not like coming to us for help. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, you're you're clearly making ends meet and you can buy a car and you can afford your cell phone bill and whatever. So there wasn't really much pushback. They would just always be very supportive. So I was I was pretty lucky in that regard and that they let me sort of find find my own way in it. That's good. So you're there. It's kind of like a starter job. Like you didn't really say, yeah. Hey, I'm gonna go be a concierge. That's what I want to mm -hmm. be. Did you start mm -hmm. to kind of fall in love with this? Like, I'm not going to chase this producer acting, not acting, but producer and movie star life. Or was it like, I'm still doing the dabbling in it while I'm. No, I was doing it. No, it was perfect. I was able to, because at the end of the day, we all know you don't come to LA and become a success in, in a, in a year. Like it just doesn't, I mean, it can, but it not really. It really kind of can't. Everybody has to pay their dues. I mean, anybody that I know, I mean, we're t let's talk about Timothy Chalamet, for example. When I was working at that first hotel, he was 11 and his dad would bring him there. And he was like, my son is going to be famous. And I remember thinking like, okay, okay, okay dad. <laughs> all right. And then fast forward and look, and he's huge. And he's like leading all of these movies. But how long ago was that? That was 17 years ago. So 
everybody's paid their pay, pays their due. So I knew that it would have to be something that I would be able to maintain and balance a sort of lifestyle of kind of having two different lives, but it's also Los Angeles too. So it's not uncommon for people to sort of have a day job and then pursue their creative pursuits outside of that. So I was always taking classes. I had auditions. I was always very responsible and respectful. And I would, I was pretty lucky. And that's actually why I worked a lot of evenings is most of the time I would have my auditions during the day. So I would be able to kind of do the auditions as they came in and then go to work, disrupting my schedule as minimally as possible. So, I mean, it was definitely a lifestyle that I was able to maintain for quite some time and then moved from the Lermitage. And then I moved to the peninsula in Beverly Hills. And that was, that was a very interesting learning curve from the hospitality side of things. Why is that? Cause those are, you've worked at three really good hotels. This is the third one. Yeah. Why was that such a learning curve? So at this point, this would be my third five-star, five-diamond property. Yes, that's what I'm saying, um, all of them. So yeah, so to even like understand that, it was a reminder of not all hotels are the same and they can all be rated five-star, five-diamond, but they are still very different. And the peninsula, and I still actually even think this to this day, is probably the best hotel in the city, in Beverly Hills. Yes, there are many wonderful ones you've got. The, you know, the Beverly Hills Hotel, the Hotel Bel Air, the Montage that's now become the Mayborn. There are many, but to consistently knock it out of the park at such a high level. And that hotel was so busy. I mean, I remember getting nervous before going in there because stakes were high. Now, keep in mind at this point, I'm 24, just turning 25. Mm -hmm. And all of my coworkers are at least... 10 years older than me. Now, when you're older, that's not necessarily that big of a deal. But at that point, when you are like 24, 25, and you're next to somebody who's 35 or 40 or 50, you're like, they're major adults. And you are yes. really trying to do a fantastic job. So I, it was something that I was... It took quite a bit to transition. And it was just the expectations of the guests. That property in particular has a very, very high repeat clientele. And so you'd have somebody that would come in and would be, they would be like, well, who are you? I'm used to dealing with so-and-so. I've dealt with so-and-so for 10 years. And you're like, well, I wasn't even legal to work for 10 years, <laughs> but let me try and help you, sir. So it was very much having to prove myself uh, not only to the guests, but even also to upper management as well. So it was a very high pressure job for myself at that point. And I also think hospitality at that point was very different than it is today. People want to engage with employees in a far more personal way today. Whereas back then it was still very much of like, I am guest you are employee and we are very different as far as the levels where that line, I think is kind of like, I don't want to say blurred, but you know, it's maybe not such a hierarchy today. Yes. And, and you're working, you said this hotel peninsula is known as being top of the world mm -hmm. brand. Like they take care of the guests and you're the concierge mm -hmm. in this place. Mm -hmm. How did you start building up connections? Because you're going to have guests that come up to you, especially VIP guests at the GMs like, Hey, Sarah, I need you to call so-and-so hot restaurant. I need a reservation when they're not available. How do you make those things happen? So, I mean, it really, it just ends up a, it helps to say I'm calling from XYZ hotel. <laughs> I learned this over the years when I ended up being at other hotels and I would call and say, I'm calling from whatever hotel. And they didn't care as much as when I said I was calling from the peninsula. And I was like, 
Okay, noted. Uh, but then just in time, you start talking to the same people because people want to end up going to the same places. So you might be calling a restaurant three, four times in a day. And then, then you're having, you're making jokes. You're having a laugh about it. You have these, so it, you start creating a rapport in that way. So that even if it's a no, you know, at least it's a softer no yeah. <laughs> when you're getting it from restaurants or they're like, you know what, let me see what I can do for you. So it really is just, it's that consistency and reaching out to these people because you're not necessarily a stranger because the person that's answering the phone knows you're probably going to call back tomorrow. And then the next day and the next day. So they do start to work with you when you just end up calling and calling and calling. It's really cool to hear because not many people know that world of concierge. They just think it's like yeah. a glorified front desk. They don't realize all the things that are going on, especially at that level of hotel where you have so many VIPs and so many things have to go right. And it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Let's put it like this. I don't know how to check a guest in. I never had to check a guest in. And it was even to the point where like one of my last hotels, they're like, oh, Sarah, can you like check the guests? And I was like, I actually don't totally know how to do that yeah. but what i can come over and entertain for a couple <laughs> minutes until somebody can come check them in and and that was also a little bit strategic could i learn how to do it 100 but it was also like i wanted to make it a very clear delineation that it's like i'm not going to be a glorified front desk my job is busy enough if i am too comfortable doing both well, we, we know how it, it'll just dilute the service that I'll be able to offer right. as a concierge. And so, yeah. So, so you're at the peninsula, you're going with these people that are, you know, the most senior and probably yeah. top of their game concierge in the city, but you start to do a lot of different things. And so this is where I see you kind of start to blossom as I was researching your background, seeing you're yeah. doing so many different things and tasting so many different things. What starts so, to evolve there? Because you end up being head concierge at the West Hollywood Beverly Hills, but yeah, you the West Hollywood. Mm -hmm. do a lot of things in between that. So maybe yeah. kind of give us that journey because that's where you were for the most time. And I want to get to that, but how was that? So this was a very important transition that and thank you for asking this. Cause it, it was a very specific decision an intentional decision. Uh, when I was at the peninsula, I got to a certain point that it was so busy that I was having a hard time keeping up with my passion of doing other things. I was actually doing uh, sketch comedy and stand-up comedy at the time. So it's like I'd work Friday mornings and then go perform Friday evening and then be back I Saturday videos. I need these videos. <laughs> oh my God, if anyone has them, send them Ooh, over. Thank goodness. Some, some videos don't need to uh, resurface is all I'm going to say. But uh, so I was doing that, but I was just getting to, I was so burnt out and it was so what they needed from what I didn't want to do is because, and I knew this for myself and my personal journey is I didn't want to end up being at that hotel for my entire life. By the way, nothing wrong with that. I just knew that I wanted to do something else. And so I actually left that job without a job lined up. Wow. Very scary. Yep. Uh, and I, I took some time to kind of regroup. Uh, I dabbled in the, at a restaurant briefly. And then I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm, I was a hostess at a restaurant when I was 18 years old. I don't need to be doing this now at whatever, 27, with all of this experience under my belt. And then I was like, well, maybe I just need to be at a different hotel so I can have, have a better balance because I was, I couldn't have that balance of what I knew I needed at the peninsula. And by the way, super love for the peninsula. It, it was the stepping stone I needed and they needed those people to be there 120%. Uh, I ended up uh, at the London West Hollywood, which was a four star property. And this was my first four star property. And so I had to wrangle with myself of like, 
okay, well, I'm like a five-star girl. Like, is four-star good enough? The first thing about that, I was so excited that I didn't have to wear pantyhose. I think I probably talked about that for like nine months. Like, I don't have to wear pantyhose. And my, my former colleagues were like, no, but like, how's the job? I'm like, I don't have to wear pantyhose. That's the best. <laughs> they were like, okay, Sarah. But surely it was it was one of those things, perfectly timed. I went there, all of, all of a sudden had more breathing room. And that's when Ask a Concierge was born. Before we dive into Ask a Concierge, yes. there was a very important moment that I want to share when I started at the London. So remember, I have a five-star background. I'm applying at a four-star hotel. The general manager and the managers are looking at, at me as a candidate like, this girl's too qualified. Mm -hmm. She's not going to want to be here. They passed on me. They hired a bellman. It didn't work out. Then they circled back and they're like, well, let's just like interview her. But like, I think she's too overqualified. I go in and, you know, I know the things to say. And, and it's also a tricky situation too, because actors, for example, have a really bad reputation. And the last thing I wanted to do was seem flaky, but I also had this whole work history behind me that I clearly wasn't yeah. flaky. And the general manager at the time, he laid this out perfectly. And this is what I wanted to share is the general manager basically said, I'm not dumb. I'm a general manager of a hotel in Hollywood. We have people that are actors, they're musicians, they're writers, they're doing this. But we're also a high-level hotel. So I want to know, what's the bigger picture for Sarah? Do you have creative ambitions and do you need this job to kind of work with you because the hospitality industry is great for people that have a sort of side hustle? Mm -hmm. Or is your passion rising the ranks and you one day want to be a general manager of a hotel. He's like, I ask just so that I know what track to put you on. And I thought that was so wonderful because no other general manager had ever asked me that in an interview. And I felt comfortable enough to say, you know, I do have some creative pursuits, but you know, should it change at some point? He was like, cool, great, no problem. And then he also said, it also makes sense why a five-star concierge might want to come to a four-star property so that you have more breathing room. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's reading my mind. Mm -hmm. And so that set the stage for a wonderful relationship. And if you look back on my work history, I was at that property for nine years. And a the main time. reason, a very long time. And I was there because they let me grow and breathe and develop my business. And, and part of it also, you know, worked with them as well too. So I share that because I think so many general managers can learn so much from that interview and just laying it out there and understanding the role that you might play in providing a, a job for somebody that like maybe there it is important for them to be going to school at the same time and they need something flexible. Maybe it's not, you know, this is just like the a, a hotel and they're they're really trying to, you know, become a general manager one day. So I loved his transparency with that. And I had See, to that's awesome. That. No, because yeah. a lot of people need to hear this because I got frowned upon, but I would tell my team because I knew not all of them wanted to be a general manager. Like forever. Yeah. I have a whole book behind me on this bookshelf that says I'm going to become a general manager of an iconic Miami beach resort. I wrote it every day for like years. And then one day that just wasn't what I wanted anymore, but I had team yeah. members, but that's not their goal. And they want to be mm -hmm. artists and they want to be mm -hmm. singers and they want to open up their little coffee shop or they want to do these things and they never do. Because they get yep. caught up in being, oh, I got called in. I worked every holiday. Mm -hmm. I did all these things. So mm -hmm. I always like that I push my team. Like, oh, that's what you want to do? Then go do it. Yes. You want to be an artist? Bring me some artwork. I'm going to hang it up in here so everyone yes. sees it. Or let's go do something together that helps you achieve that dream you want.
if you don't want to have the same dream of working in a hotel your whole life. But some people do, and they want to be that bellman forever. That's what they like. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but I like that you kept your vision going. So that's where I want to hear of how you balanced it. Because a lot of hotels, you found the right match, will be like, no, no, no. You cannot be posting that online. No, no, no. You can't be working on a side business. Now, keep in mind right now, like to give everybody a frame of reference, we're talking about uh, 2012. Okay. I just start at the uh, the start of 2012 at the London Hotel. You know, Twitter is kind of there. Facebook's Twitter's there. Big, Facebook's Instagram, not yet. Instagram is mm, on the verge, on the verge. Right. Uh, and so, exactly as you said, not all brands were. You know, social media was a new frontier at that point, and they were very sensitive as to what their employees were posting online for fear that you could be representing them in a, in a poor light. But I was lucky in the sense that I was at a four-star property that was also an independent hotel. And honestly, for the longest time, I didn't even say, I didn't say where I worked. I was asked a concierge and I said, I was a concierge at one of the, uh, one of the top hotels in LA. I very specifically chose my language and this was very specific so that it wouldn't come back to them for multiple reasons. A, so they couldn't come back to me and say, oh, you can't be doing this. B, I'm not their spokesperson because that we all know is a very different paycheck. <laughs> but I wanted to just keep it separate. What I should say is the story of how Ask a Concierge came to be yes, created. Let's find out. Let's see how this starts. I was taking an online writing class and I was basically working with a couple because I had a background again in sketch comedy and I was working with a fellow comedian and she and I were going to do a web series. And so in the process of us like working on the script of this web series, which by the way, never ended up happening, our instructor gave us an assignment to all create a vlog. And I'm like, a vlog, a video blog. And he's like, think about what you're an expert in and this is a great assignment, by the way, for everybody to think of in whatever, especially in personal branding. Think about what you're an expert in and share stories about that, share advice about that. And what was why was this was so poignant is all too often, we don't see where we're an expert. We just take for granted the knowledge that we have. So he was like, Okay, as you're trying to figure this out, think about what people ask you, what repeated questions you get asked about on a regular basis, whether it's families asking you for advice on something, whether it's in your job, whatever. And that's how I was like, well, I like to work out and eat healthy, but like, that's not my thing. I mean, I guess, and I was literally like, I guess I'll talk about what to eat, see, do in LA. I mean, people ask me that on a regular basis, super unsure. At the last minute, it was like, I guess I'll call it ask a concierge and specifically ask a concierge because I didn't want to be asked the concierge because it's not just me. We have many local experts. So again, I share that for the specificity of everything that I thought about. And then I was like, okay, cool. And I did my first video, which by the way, all of this still exists online. It's on my YouTube under Sarah Dandeshi versus Ask a Concierge. And you can see, I shot it on my phone. <laughs> the editing is cheesy. I like paid somebody to help me create a logo. That's this little cartoon girl that kind of has a bewitched theme. And the music is horrible on it. Definitely still images. And I started doing these videos and immediately the rest of the class was like, oh, this is really cool. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Why You live in LA. Why do you care about tours in LA? And they're like, well, sometimes we're looking for date night ideas. Sometimes like our family comes into town and we want to figure out what to do with them. And that, that's when I realized, oh, 
I have a far broader audience than I gave myself credit for. And then that's when I doubled down and I was like all over Twitter. And I knew I always wanted to do video because again, keep in mind, I have a film and TV background. So before all the platforms were even optimized for video, I was creating videos. And I also knew well before I'm like, ain't nobody got time for a five minute video. I don't want to watch myself for five minutes. I mean, no. there's a time and place, but so I was always like, how do we make 15, 30 second videos? I'm talking about, I was doing this in yeah, like, you're like early. So that's under that. That's how it helps me understand how you got to 250,000 total yeah. followers or whatever your giant number is now. It's, it's been building it. And then also why, like at times, like last year, truthfully speaking in 2013, at that point, I've been doing this 11 years. I had to take my foot off the gas. The 2023. Sheer, yeah, 2023. Thank you. I, the sheer volume of content that I've created over 11 years, I was like, okay, like I need to take my foot off the gas and like find my creativity again. Because if we're speaking about the content world, A, it's always evolving, but B, it also has to be authentic to you. So it what worked in 2012 doesn't necessarily work today. I mean, there can right. be elements of it. And so, yeah, so it was this wonderful journey. And then I was able to incorporate interviewing other concierge and create different video series because I found that batching my content was a great way to, I would just do a major shoot. I'd either interview a bunch of people or I would film 20 videos. And I, I was doing this again, like in 2000. 14, 15, et cetera, I would batch my content and that's how I was able to stay consistent. So, and I will fully admit today as a seasoned content creator, when I do not batch my content, it is not, I do not have that consistency. So even yes. I now have to remind myself of my own lessons. Are you finding, and we're sidetracking here. I agree with you. Like when I batch yeah. stuff, much easier, but it's getting yeah. harder, I think, at least for me, to get people on because there's so many people creating so many different things. And now mm -hmm. it seems like everyone has a podcast and everyone is growing. Yeah. Are you finding it harder to find like your pace and content? Or is it like, no, it's some finding different ways of doing it because it can get boring sometimes for us. Right? Oh, but yeah. We still want to see the same thing. I'm trying to find that balance now, three years in. So, what I do, and I've always been pretty good at this is I consistently check in with there's probably about three times a year I check in with myself uh check in obviously at the beginning of the year like May ish or so like leading into summer have a general check-in as well too just to be like okay am I liking the pace of things does this make sense uh and then definitely in the fall as well so I just check in just to see like okay what's working what's not working what do I need to like do to streamline this but again it's it's all like when it comes to the content, it's all like, how can I get as many content pieces out of one thing? And then really hyper-focusing on the short-form content. Yeah. The long-form content's great, yes. but really like, how can we hyper-focus on that short-form content? Because that will drive traffic love and it. that gets shared more. And listeners, you're hearing from one of the best. So I love <laughs> that we're getting this masterclass now, sidetracked here. No, it's all but good. I like that you're doing this. So you find a hotel that's letting you do it. Do you start getting some haters in the hotel? Because as you start growing, like they're, oh, look at here comes Sarah. Ask a concierge is here. Why you're asking the best questions. I was so concerned 
that people would feel some sort of way and I would get negative pushback. And I just, it's not a, it's not a, the like, Oh, I just want everybody to like me. It just is more of like, I get it. There's a, I mean, it's social media. It's like, okay. But you know, if people start seeing you, you start to get a following and you have numbers, like you might get some pushback. Also not everybody likes social media. So probably as I was building my brand for two years, I did not advertise it at the hotel. And I also did not tell the other concierge in town. So I would still be going to concierge meetings. And then it was probably, probably about two years into it that some people were like, wait, are you ask a concierge? And I'm like, oh yeah. And because my whole thing, there were two reasons for that. One, I didn't want somebody to see my idea at the beginning and give me a run for my money. I wanted a head start. Right. That, mm -hmm. like truthfully. And then secondly, I wanted to be established enough so that if I did get any pushback, I could be like, cool. Well, do you know how much work this is? You do the work. This is not luck. Everything that I have today, the roof over my head, my car, the ability to do the show with you, uh, to do TV segments is all because I just consistently showed up online and I created those opportunities. And I'm a firm believer, the more that you like create content and you show up and you do that, the more opportunities come your way. And I've been very, very lucky that almost all the work I do comes to me. And I very rarely have to pitch somebody blindly. It's more of like, oh, you want to work with me? Cool. Let's fine tune it and yeah. work together. And we go from there. So sorry. Ooh, I get so passionate about oh, I that. Love it. But I love it. <laughs> <laughs> because I've seen it where now if you have all this content out there, it's almost like they know you before they even meet you sometimes because yeah. you have to do some pitches in this world. And they're like, oh, yeah. we know Sarah already. We know who she is. It's always better to have the upper hand in any sort of conversation like that. And, you know, if you build your body of work, it makes those conversations so much easier. And also... Let's talk about the money aspect too, because that's another thing. I get it. Entrepreneurs, they want to make money right off the bat. And sometimes you can, obviously all businesses are different. Uh, the content game. When did I start making money? So imagine I come up with this idea in 2012. I probably don't get my first real paid thing until 2006, 17, 2017. Mm -hmm. So five years of grinding. So I want people to hear this because they think, oh, I'm just going to post. I'm going to find a way to cheat the system and get something that get me likes and follows. And I'm going to five years of grinding people. all that tip money and gratuity money. I literally went, I paid a, a videographer and a photographer. I took all that money and put it in that. Obviously I had savings too, guys, you know, all about spend responsibly, but yes. um, I would take any sort of extra money and put it towards that. So I wasn't making the choice to go out to lavish dinners or go party in clubs and whatever, because I would look at that. I'm like, well, that could be $300 and that $300 could get me like X, Y, Z, you know, videos or this. And I, I also strategically worked with, with people as well too, where I would like buy them a camera in exchange for them to, to create a bunch of footage for me. Smart. Totally. Totally. And so to this day, you know, one of my videographers I've worked with for a long time, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to get a new drone. Uh, I'll give you my old drone. Will you just do like, you know, a round of shots for me? Perfect. You know, so Super smart. It, it's just, it's a different way of thinking about it. But again, it's, I invested that time and money in and then grew. So imagine then 2017 started making a little bit of money, 18 more 2019 at this point, so let me ask you this, because a lot of people are like, I don't do it. Were you asking for money or was people saying, hey, we'll give you 300 bucks to post about our restaurant? What was how did that start happening? For you? 
it was very much like if I was doing, for lack of a better way of describing editorial content, like if I was like, hey, can I come in and feature this? Sure, I wouldn't like, by the way, can I come in and feature this? Can you pay me? No, at that point, people started reaching out to me and I was like, great, I'd be happy to do that for you. These are my rates. And then slowly built on that. And so by 2019, and, and it was interesting because I was like, 2018, I'm like, I think I could probably leave the hotel, but that security blanket, Oh my gosh, health insurance. Yeah, benefits, oh, 401k. Yeah. Three all, meals every day, I'm sure, at the hotel. Totally. These are all real things to, to think about. And I'd done pretty well in 2018. And then 2019, let's give you uh, an idea of this. I was working full time and I managed to do, oh gosh, how many trips did I do that year? I managed to still do 42 trips while working full time. Pretty much oh. 2019, I know, like crazy. So 2019, if I was in LA, I was working. And if I was not scheduled to work that day, I was not in LA. And I could have been at the Grand Canyon or I could have been up in Napa. Like it As wasn't- a flight like, away, yeah. It wasn't necessarily like I was in Asia. But I will say this, I did have a long trip that I was 10 days, multiple countries in Asia. And I came back, I landed, I was home for maybe five hours. <laughs> put on a name tag and I went to work the same day I came back from a trip from Asia. So you do the math on that. But for me, that was how I could make it work. And I also was so mindful and thankful and respectful of my colleagues that I was like, I will do whatever I can because I'm so thankful that they were flexible with their schedule that I was able to do this. And I always made that very clear. And that's why I also then ended up working holidays. I'm like, hey, you need time with your family? I will totally work Christmas because you gave me a solid this year. So again, it's all of like understanding your coworkers and working together and just you stay humble and you never get too, too big for the situation and you're always willing to do the work. That's good. I'm, I want people to stop. I want them to rewind this if you're not driving because there's so many people who come up to me like, how did you do this? How can I do something on the side? How can I create something? It's is this, you got to yeah. grind. If you really want it, it's not, I'm going my day off to the bar and Netflix and chill yeah. and watch six hours of TV. It's I'm going to go create things and, and, I'm and put what I want out there. Yeah. And you just really just, you make those conscious choices and decisions. And, you know, for a long time, people were like, wait, you're like the head concierge. Why are you working nights? Cause traditionally head concierge, were, you know, they want to yeah, work. Daytime. Yeah, exactly. And it was because I would wake up at six in the morning, ha like get my workout in, have a full day of whether it's doing emails, creating content, et cetera. So like that, the thing that I was most passionate about, I could, I could tackle throughout the day. And then the second half of my day, I could go, go to work, enjoy that. And then if, if timing did allow, and if maybe the schedule wasn't so busy, I could maybe tackle some more emails, you know, from the desk that night at like eight, nine o'clock, but it was a very committed choice. And I, it's also not something I, I understand that is for everybody, but it's, if I did not do that, I would not be here today. Where I want to get to now. <laughs> In 2020, you leave your position. Yes. That's a crazy year for everybody. But how does that happen? When do you get to that inflection point of, all right, I don't need to have this full-time hotel job anymore? Because I know how it happened for me, but how did it happen for you? 
So going into 2020, I, rem I remember how I'm telling you 2019 is like insane. I'm definitely doing, I, I had made enough money from my, from Ask a Concierge. I knew I could survive off of it, but it was like, okay, am I really going to be okay leaving, leaving, leaving the hotel? And so at the beginning of the year, I told myself, this is the year that I will leave the hotel. And I kind of gave myself, feel like it might be around March or April-ish had a feeling. And then next thing you know, the pandemic happens. And so basically at that point, you know, get on unemployment as everybody else. And then I'm like, okay, well, there's two things I'm really good at. One is living fairly frugally, party of one. I'm, pr I'm pretty low maintenance, all that. And then number two is making a bunch of content for very little money because that's what I did for so long while I was building my brand. And so I took that time. So I'm not working at the hotel. I took that time. First of all, I paused in creating content and I watched the landscape and everybody was like, Oh, I can't wait to get back to travel. Oh my God, whatever. And I was like, well, this is going to get real old real quick because yeah. let's be honest. I don't think this is just going to last two weeks. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I knew it wasn't going to last two no, weeks. Really, it was two weeks. Yeah. Plus Zero I weeks. also hate fear mongering. I cannot stand fear mongering and I like to empower people. So I was quiet, watched the content that was out there. And then I realized, wow, there's not a lot of content out there that's empowering people with information so that they feel comfortable to do what they want to do. They feel comfortable to make travel decisions should they want to, or to not, or whatever, or just, just even get comfortable with the idea of traveling because you had so many people on all different spectrums. And I was like, I want to power people with knowledge. And I, le I leaned into that. So at that point, content takes off. That's when I started doing a bunch of TV segments and I could do the TV segments from my house, from home. So how does that happen the first time? Were you doing that before or this start during the pandemic? Cause you don't have a PR director. So I was no. shocked to learn. You didn't have one. <laughs> I have one who helps me because to yeah. get my word out, I gave her a specific thing. I want you to position me as an expert and get me out there. And she's done a fantastic job, but you did this on your own. Is it because you had connections already in the industry because you lived out there? No, it was all word of mouth from social media. So I became friends, for example, with Peter Greenberg. Peter Greenberg, for those people that don't know, he's in the travel. He, he's like the granddaddy of travel, and I can call him that. And he's the CBS News travel editor. He and I became friends. That's a fun story for another time. Maybe we'll have him on our show, by the way, because like that would be us. a lot of fun. We met and he was like, he knew me as a concierge. And then he was like, wait, what's this content that you make? He saw my content. He liked it. And he was like, can I share it on my site? I made no money from that. I was making the content anyway. I literally gave him my content to share in his email blast. Somebody that was working with Marriott saw that and was like, oh, we wanna do videos with her. I then at that point started working with Marriott doing more destination videos. Not something that they do a lot these days, but they're like, oh, well, you're good on camera. Like, hey, we have an opportunity to do the Kelly Clarkson show. Do you wanna do that for us? So I was very lucky that because of my partnership already with them doing something completely different, they also flew me to their headquarters. We did a little bit of media training, specific TV media training. And then they would just like book me on some things. Very nominal. It, it was very little. It was not a lot. Fast forward, the pandemic is happening. They see me doing these two minute updates and they're like, that's pretty much a news segment. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And they're like, would you be comfortable doing this? I'm like, yes. So I started doing those from home and guess what? I'm now making money from my living room in the middle of the pandemic, talking about travel without having to travel. And so cool. it was coming in. And so in the meantime, going back to the hotel, they kept reaching out and they're like, hey, we might maybe want to bring you back. And I would say, please go down the list. 
ask the next concierge because I was like, I'm starting to create a little bit of income. Like this is starting to become a little bit self-sustaining potentially bring them in. I have something they might not have something. So they right. went down the list and they started bringing everybody back. And then probably by August of that year, cut ties completely. And it was like the final, this is like, this is our final ask. Will you come back? And I was like, I'm going to stick to what I've built. And then, then that's when I ended up positioning myself and doing the book and then, and then other things. So it was a very, it was like the pandemic just segued perfectly with the plan I already had and maybe fast tracked it, but it was all, like I was already in that headspace. And then it was like, how do I just do this strategically? And again, I think it was a lot of happy accidents as well, too. Like that, I didn't go in to be like super strategic. I very yes. much take the like lay of the land, find the gaps in the content that's out there and see what can I add to fill in those gaps so that I'm relevant because content is all about adding value, but then also staying relevant. Yeah. And I learned that from you just in teaming up with you is like looking at the headlines and making sure you talk about certain headlines yeah. because they start to trend very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's a, a good tips I've learned from you. So, all right. For the people who are listening, because I could talk to you forever and I want to keep this <laughs> yeah. to our, our hour here. You make this jump, mm -hmm. you leave, you mm -hmm. soar free from the hotel, which is scary for a lot of people. Did you sit down and consciously write down like, all right, I'm ready to go. I've added everything up or I just feel like I've got something out there. I got to go chase. No, because I had also done like business plans in the past. And so it's like, I had a general idea. It was also in the time of the pandemic. I'll be honest. I didn't have a specific plan, but I knew my gut that this was the right direction. And my whole thing was, is I also knew, let's be honest. Okay. If I'm, if I get paid through people's marketing budgets, how are the marketing, marketing budgets for travel companies in 2020? Not so great. They were reallocating those fees, understandably so. So I was like, well, I don't know how long this will be, but I want to be everywhere so that when the marketing budgets come back, I am on that short list of those first calls of people that they call. And that is exactly what happened. And so again, it was just like, I will just continue putting the content out there and people will reach out to me. And I got so many great opportunities that I wouldn't even have ne necessarily even thought of. Like I was, you know, spokesperson for Charisma Hotels and Resorts that I got in the end of 2020, planning it going into 2021, that I had these opportunities and like, they were so great. And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. So Again, it was just by putting that content out there, those opportunities came and it was just building one off of the other off of the, and then, you know, then the strategic stuff would be like, okay, well, the book is good because the book adds, you know, a level of expertise. It uh, leads nicely into speaking engagements, which I knew was a part of my business. I wanted to grow. So yes, it wasn't just like, oh, let me try everything. There was definitely some strategy and you need a strategy to a book, but yeah. So it was just kind of understanding the bigger picture goals and then working backwards to see like, okay, well to get there, that would be the step. And then the step before that and the step before that. So then I know where I can start today to ultimately get to where I need to be down the line. So cool. So when you make this book, I'm going to ask you so many, we have to do a part two on this, but when you make the book, did you write it yourself, publish it yourself? Or did you have a publisher that you went to and say, I'm going to do this? Or you go on Amazon and make your own. So I knew fresh out the gate. I was like, I'm not going to sit here and wait for a publisher. Like I'm not paying the waiting game. I've also worked in Hollywood. I mean, I've had TV development deals. I'm not going to sit here and wait for some executive that's over here, there, whatever to be like, Oh, you're the next hot thing. I will make myself the next hot thing. Listen to that. Okay. Okay. So, cause you focus on what you can control. I don't want to sit there and be a decision for somebody else. 
Like I want it to be a no brainer decision. I want them to call me when they've already made the decision. So going back, I was very lucky that I had a very close friend of mine that helps people self-publish. So I had some guidance that can be very overwhelming. And I do suggest for people that do want to do a book, I think unless you are famous or have some sort of crazy, amazing story about being an amputee and hiking Mount Everest or whatever that like people have to hear, maybe you should self-publish at first and utilize and lean into, you know, any sort of social media presence that you might have. So I knew I was going to self-publish. I wrote the entire thing myself. I tend to work backwards with books and that I come up with the title and then, and then I figure out the outline and I knew I didn't want to do a tell all, but then again, it evolved over time. So books tend to evolve because they take a long time and it, be, it was educational and I knew I wanted quotes and I knew I wanted to have other people share their stories. And so it kind of came together piece by piece. And it was interesting because then I look back at times, I'm like, oh, this book isn't super dense. It, it's actually kind of an easy read. I don't want to look like not intelligent enough. And then I stopped and I was like, wait a second, Sarah. And admittedly, I'm not a huge reader. Like I have to be like in the mood for it. If I see a book that is super dense, like if you put Moby Dick on my desk, I'm like, I am not reading that. Like, no. And so when I look back, I like that it's an easy read. I like that it's easily digestible. That was not yeah. necessarily the intention, but it came out that way. And I think that that's why so many people of so many different backgrounds can read it and enjoy it. So the book has been great. And so, yeah, self-publish. Give us the title because I'm, I'm embarrassed. I have to buy it today. So yeah. give us the title of the book here, Sarah. Okay. Because I don't have it. We didn't know each other then. When How we, did I give you one when I saw when you a couple weeks ago? I don't know. Oh I see goodness. how it is. Here we go. Hospitality from within. Beautiful. Hospitality from within. Make sure we get it today on Amazon, I'm sure. Everyone can buy it, right? Yep, everybody can buy it. It's great. It's been wonderful. And so many people have learned so much from it. And at the end of the day, like, I just want to help inspire people realize all the tools they need are inside themselves. And sometimes we just need a little bit of outside inspiration to awaken that part of ourselves and to fully embrace what we're bringing to the table. And there's some useful tools in that. But I think the the main thing, my goal is I wanted to inspire people that maybe have been in the industry for a long time. And they're just like, I'm tired. Like, you know, nothing really like yeah. faces me anymore. And I wanted them to get reinvigorated. And then also give some tools for those that might be new to the industry that have no idea what hospitality is or, or why is it important to connect with a guest or why is it important to listen to a guest? So really breaking that down. So that was kind of the point of that, but it, it, it's been a wonderful journey. And I love that it also came together so authentically because it's obviously it's important to be strategic, but I want there to be an authenticity to whatever is being done because that that's where the great stuff happens. Yeah, see, I'm going to work on that because I've started it and I was like, I don't really like this. I'm like overthinking it, but I just have to stick to it. Keep it going. You've given a lot of great advice yeah. here and we could continue talking about everything. But what is coming up for Sarah? What do you have coming up this year that you want to share with people about what you got going on in your world? Ooh, I love this. Well, number one, I would say is that we are going to be continuing to grow the Good Morning Hospitality podcast. So obviously, Steve and I have big plans to just 
continuously evolve it, whether it is having more in-person episodes, whether it's doing meetups. So we're definitely looking to explore that. And I'm excited yep. to see that evolve. I also have been really excited about the other show that I do. Very different in style, but I do it with Visit West Hollywood. Uh, it's the Creators Podcast. And I interview those, whether they're celebrity interior designers or photographers or you name it, these incredible creators that influence the cultural fabric of the world that we live in. And so much of it comes from right here in my backyard. And because I worked and I live in this area, it's been so cool to be part of that journey to help share those stories. So the Creators Podcast, also great. And then I have a video series in the works that I can't share too much now, but I would just say stay tuned for social because we're going to be doing some fun things. So yes. If you ever need a guest appearance for me, you let me know. You got it. I will it. be there for you. Done. Well, Sarah, listen, I appreciate everything you shared today, but I have one last question. Oh, bring it. If you were starting out today, yeah. young Sarah was graduating Georgetown and she's joining your team. What advice would you have for her if she was starting out right now? Hmm. Try a little bit of everything. Dabble in whether it's different jobs, roles, and remind yourself, remind yourself that no job is too small and do it all. I think what was so great is because I always worked so many jobs from a young age. By the time I was like 22, I already had a pretty established resume. So try a little bit of everything. And it's not for resume building, that's a side part of it, but it's so that you figure out what you're passionate in. And it's amazing what you can do, even if it's not in the directly the same industry, you can learn so much from a different industry that can influence the ultimate industry that you end up going into. And then final thing is, is don't put, try everything, also know that there are chapters to life and know that maybe this might be what you do for 10 years and that you might find yourself doing something completely different in the in the following 10 years and be okay with that. It's all a journey and you're learning so much from it. And the important thing is to be passionate and engaged in whatever you're doing because we do spend so much of our time working. So find enjoyment in it so that you have a life full of joy. <laughs> I love it. You got me fired up, Sarah. I know the listeners here are fired up. Thanks for coming Listen. to my TED Talk. <laughs> no, fantastic. And so listeners, make sure to connect with Sarah. She shares so many great things on Instagram at Ask a Concierge. You can connect with her on LinkedIn under her name, Sarah Dandishi. Where else can I get connected with you? Are you on threads? Are you on Twitter? You're I'm everywhere, on right? Twitter, threads, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere else as Ask a Concierge. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.